Happy Sabbath, and thank you very much, ladies, for that special music on morning prayer. A welcome to any guests that we have on this fifth day of Unleavened Bread. And just beautiful weather here in Charlotte, and we're just uh, very thankful for that. And I do want to uh, personally thank you very much for your prayers, for the many messages of encouragement uh, for my healing. I'm feeling much better, uh, but I still have a ways to go for complete recovery. We bring you uh, greetings from our brethren in Raleigh, Jacksonville, and Fayetteville, North Carolina. We had an inspiring Passover, a night to be much observed, and the first holy day there, actually uh, meeting in Smithfield. Uh, we are hosted by uh, Mr. and Mrs. James Sweat, the pastor and his wife, and actually Mr. Rod McNair is speaking in Raleigh there today. On a return from Raleigh on Wednesday, we stopped by the North Carolina Zoo in Ashboro. Uh, it was very inspiring to see uh, a family of four lions and seeing big, tall giraffes walking together in a graceful way and many other animals and birds. I was surprised to learn that the North Carolina Zoo claims to be the world's largest zoo. When you go on uh, Google, it says San Diego is the largest with 100 acres, but North Carolina Zoo has 2,000 acres, so I guess it's largest in size. It says it is the largest walk-through zoo in the world, and they claim we are the world's largest natural habitat zoo. I'm just quoting from their website. With over five miles of shaded pathways, the zoo offers a wonderful opportunity for heart-healthy exercise. The trails are also ADA accessible. So how many of you have been to the North Carolina Zoo in Asheboro? Let me see your hands. It's hard to see in the light uh, out there, uh, but that looks like about 38% of you. So if you haven't been there, it's only one hour and 42 minutes uh, from Weddington High School. Uh, when we were there Wednesday afternoon, there were mobs of people, I mean, uh, prams and uh, baby carriages and many families out there. Uh, it was very, very special. And uh, great to see, of course, God's creation and how he's created these amazing creatures. So uh, we really appreciated that. Well, as you know, tomorrow millions of professing Christians will be observing a pagan Easter Sunday. Uh, if a neighbor were to ask you, why don't you keep Easter? I would be tempted to say something like, why do you insult the resurrection of Jesus Christ by associating it with a pagan goddess. Some few in the Protestant professing world uh, realize that. It is Easter is pagan. In fact, uh, when I first started coming to the church, uh, I had a booklet. My was living with my parents. We were Methodists, and I got the booklet from Mr. Herbert Armstrong, Easter is pagan, had <laughs> that on the coffee table. I don't think they appreciated that very much. But you realize here is a pagan goddess. Uh, Mr. Weston explains that in the comprehensive booklet, Easter, the Untold Story, and that's the same title of the telecast uh, that you'll want to see uh, tomorrow or sometime this weekend if you haven't already. Easter, the Untold Story. He writes in that booklet, The New World Encyclopedia suggests a connection between Eostre, E-O-S-T-R-E, and Easter, with the very popular and ancient goddess Ishtar. Scholars likewise speculate that the Ostre 
the Anglo-Saxon goddess of spring, whose name later gave rise to the modern English Easter, may be etymologically connected with Ishtar. And you can research it yourself, but you'll find that Ishtar was a goddess of fertility and a goddess of war. So I encourage you to read uh, Mr. Weston's booklet or reread it if you haven't uh, sometime. Easter, the Untold Story. And then, of course, see the telecast by the same title, which will be offering that booklet uh, tomorrow morning on WAXN here in Charlotte, of course, uh, 9 o'clock. Also, um, I just received today as a subscriber to Tomorrow's World Commentary Newsletter a commentary by Mr. Wallace Smith, Lee Strobel's Mistake in the Case for, for Christ. Um, he states, Mr. Wallace Smith writes, I just saw the movie The Case for Christ based on Lee Strobel's book by the same name, depicting his investigation into the facts of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And what strikes me most is not Strobel's research, but where it ended. So I hope you uh, get to see, if you're not a subscriber to Tomorrow's World uh, Commentaries, you can still see it on the Tomorrow's World homepage on the website. Uh, I recommend you uh, read that commentary. So last Sunday night, baptized members of God's church observed the 2017 New Testament Passover. It's a memorial, annual memorial of our Lord and Savior's death and sacrifice for all mankind. In 31 AD, the Passover night, Jesus established the new covenant. You don't want to turn there, but I'll just read that as we read the Passover night, Matthew 26, 28. For this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. Matthew 26, 28. For this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. So his blood paid for our sins. So we are now under the new covenant. We are pioneers of the new covenant. We had a sermon by that title three years ago, Pioneers of the New Covenant. And then last Monday night, we observed the night to be much observed. The Israelites went out on the night of the 15th of the first month in God's calendar under a full moon. And I think most of you or some of you may have seen the full moon, blood red moons, called the Tetrad because there were four of them in 2014 and 2015, uh, the night to be much observed on each of those years, and the beginning of the Feast of Tabernacles in each of those years. So I pointed out on the telecast in uh, Seven Prophetic Keys for 2017, which aired January 1st of this year, uh, what NASA, the National Aeronautics and Space Administration, described the lunar eclipse as follows. Their color as sunset red, or as the eclipse progressed, filling it with a coppery glow and transforming the moon into a great red orb. So in 31 A.D., April 21st, when that would be, of course, a Thursday, uh, sorry, Wednesday, when Jesus was crucified, uh, that night would have been the night to be much observed. If you'll turn to Acts, the 20th, second chapter, Acts 2, and verse 20, what did Peter say referring to the night to be much observed? 
referring back to the crucifixion of Christ, because he was explaining all the activity that was going on, Pentecost, the fire on the heads of the apostles and disciples, and the rushing of the wind, and now they're all speaking in foreign languages so that everyone could understand the gospel. And they're wondering, what is happening here? And Peter is explaining, this is the prophet Joel's message, starting there in verse 16 of Acts uh, 2. I won't read the whole thing, but he mentions here in verse 20, the sun shall be turned to darkness. Well, he's talking about the future day of the Lord, the heavenly signs. But that same symbolism was given on the day Jesus was crucified. There were three hours of supernatural darkness. There was no solar eclipse. There was a lunar eclipse that night, but there was not a solar eclipse. So they had seen what Peter was talking about. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon into blood. And our researchers have found that there was a partial eclipse, lunar eclipse that night, the night to be much observed, which would have had a coppery red color. So they would have seen this common experience, and Peter's explaining that common experience to them. So they would have had uh, the message that Peter is speaking about, and of course he calls them to repentance, and 3,000 were later baptized. So when we see the full moon, when uh, we mentioned, of course, the night to be much observed, I hope you all saw that, it was... Uh, Actually, uh, the planet Jupiter was near it, very beautiful. And then the next night, the uh, night of the first day of Unleavened Bread, after we had services, we came back to the home of Mr. and Mrs. James Sweat, and we're all sitting out in their front porch, and I'd gotten on the uh, Internet and found out moonrise was at 8.16 p.m., and right from the front porch we could actually watch over a period of 20 minutes, this beautiful moonrise. I don't know if you've ever seen a moonrise, but uh, that was very, very special. So in Egypt, on the 15th of the first month, the Israelites began their exodus under a full moon. On, and the 10th plague had killed all the firstborn of Egypt, and uh, the Israelites were plundering the Egyptians on the daylight portion of the 14th. And then that night, they went out, called the night to be much observed. In the King James Version, Exodus 12, verse 42, they went out by night. The children of Israel began their exodus from Ramses. Now, Ramses was not the Pharaoh at the time. That name was added later to that geographical location. Our World Tomorrow television crew uh, went to Egypt in 1991. And I'm privileged to be on that site that was called Ramses. It's actually an archaeological site called Teladaba. And then you went there from Sukkoth, which is actually called Tel El Mashkuta. And it's interesting enough, if you go on the Internet, I was very surprised to find out that uh, what, when was the exodus. And there are many websites that now agree what our researchers have found, and I mentioned in the Night to be much observed video, the Exodus would have been 1446, starting in 1446 and then going to the Promised Land 40 years later in 1406.
But many of the websites agree now that 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 was the date of the Exodus. However, traditional Protestantism and uh, researchers have it, Ramses as being the Pharaoh, which was a time in 1250, uh, traditional Exodus for Ramses was around, uh, under Pharaoh Ramses, was around 1250 A.D. So they're way off, uh, actually by almost 200 years in their, the, uh, their research. But uh, we did the lessons of the Exodus back in 1991. And it was a very special opportunity uh, to be at those locations. If you turn to Numbers 33, again, we um, confirm uh, what, what happened during the Exodus, number 33, Numbers 33. And, uh, well, starting with verse 3, they departed from Ramesses in the first month, on the 15th day of the first month, on the day after the Passover. The children of Israel went out with boldness in the sight of the Egyptians, for the Egyptians were burying their firstborn, whom the Lord had killed among them, also on the gods the Eternal had executed judgments. So they went out on the 15th, and the 14th, of course, they were plundering the Egyptians. Now you turn to Deuteronomy uh, the 16th chapter, Deuteronomy 16, again, we just confirm that when that was, it was at night, Deuteronomy 16. Uh, interestingly enough, I, we had uh, a kind of one of these uh, religious circulars put in our mailbox, and um, I won't say what group it was, but it was a Christian group saying they were going to keep the Passover on Tuesday night. Well, of course... Uh, was Sunday night, really, when uh, Passover was taking place. But uh, here in Deuteronomy 16, observe the month of Abib and keep the Passover to the eternal your God. For in the month of Abib, the eternal your God brought you out of Egypt, not by day, but by night. And so when you see the Ten Commandment movie tonight, it's on uh, ABC television, uh, always on the Saturday night before the pagan Easter Sunday. Uh, we have 7 uh, to 11 o'clock uh, tonight. Uh, it's going to be amazing to see that movie over and over again. Of course, many different uh, errors in it. They have the exodus in the daytime when, of course, the Israelites are going out at night. But it has a very inspiring beginning, the narration that just inspired me. It uh, begins this way. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And from this light, God created life upon earth. And man was given dominion over all things upon this earth and the power to choose between good and evil. But each sought to do his own will because he knew not the light of God's law. Man took dominion over man. The conquered were made to serve the conqueror. The weak were made to serve the strong. And freedom was gone from the world. So did the Egyptians cause the children of Israel to serve with rigor, and their lives were made bitter with hard bondage, and their cry came up from unto God, and God heard them, and cast into Egypt, into the lowly hut of Amran and Jochebel, the seed of a man upon whose mind and heart would be written God's law and God's commandments, one man to stand alone against an empire. 
So God called Israel out of bondage. And when you think of even the Ten Commandments, what does it say? Exodus 21, 20 verse 1. And God spoke all these words saying, I am the eternal your God which have brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. You shall have no other gods before me. That begins the Ten Commandments. So they were in the house of bondage and given freedom. And we've celebrated our freedom from the bondage of sin because we were reconciled to God by the death of his son and the shed blood. And we begin to walk in newness of life. So God hears our cries for deliverance. And sometimes we, in our trials and problems, cry out to God. I'm inspired sometimes when I, I think about well, we say, well, you're just selfish when you try to say, tell God to save you. But uh, Psalm 6 and Psalm 7, David says, save me, save me, O God. We actually have one of our hymns. Save me, O God, by thy great name and judge me by thy strength. So we can cry out to God to save us because we have a living Savior. And you can ask for his saving power and his intervention. So God freed Israel from bondage, and he's freed us from the bondage of practicing sin. But God led the Israelites to the Red Sea to test them and to show them his power to rescue and deliver them. But he gave them challenges so that they would learn to overcome those challenges with his help. And God gives us challenges to overcome so that we will grow in spiritual character and strength. One of the major lessons of the Days of Unleavened Bread is that we must overcome. We must practice overcoming. We must be overcomers. I'm asking you today, are you an overcomer? That's the title of the sermon today, Are You an Overcomer? But we have to overcome every day. And the days of unleavened bread teach us the need to overcome every day. We eat unleavened bread every day. Have you noticed how many times in the scriptures uh, emphasize a daily responsibility? You won't need to turn there, but I'll just give you references. Matthew 6, verse 11. Give us this day our daily bread. Acts 17.11, the Bereans searched the scriptures daily, whether these things were so. And then we have, I guess, uh, I don't know if it's in our hymnal, we used to have uh, the hymn, Standing on the Promises. Standing on the Promises, overcoming daily with the spirit sword was a part of that hymn. How do you overcome? With the spirit sword, the word of God. So we need to live each day by faith. We have a sermon number 324, live each day by faith. And in the same way, we need to overcome daily, day by day. Turn to 2 Corinthians, the fourth chapter, and we'll see the need for us to make it a daily responsibility. 2 Corinthians 4, Corinthians, the fourth chapter. Second Corinthians 4, and uh, starting with verse 16. 
Therefore, we do not lose heart, even though our outward man is perishing, and those of us who are, are aging, I think I mentioned to you we had uh, last year, well, no, it was last October, uh, my high school in Meriden, Connecticut, was a class of 1954. Uh, we did have uh, several um, reunions. I was only able to attend one with a larger group, but we all suggested when I was there some time ago as president of the class, we had about 320 in our class, uh, that we should have an octogenarian reunion. So uh, after the feast in Mount Snow, we were here in Charlotte for the feast last fall and then up to Mount Snow, Vermont. We drove down to Meriden, Connecticut, and we had our octogenarian um, reunion. That means, uh, for those of you who don't know, those of us who are over 80. So we had 19 of my classmates uh, meeting in Meriden, Connecticut for that octogenarian uh, reunion. But the outward man is perishing. You know, my outward man is perishing, but yet the inward man is being renewed, how often? Day by day. So we are thankful that God can renew our youth. He can actually renew our mind and heart. Turn to Romans, the 12th chapter. Romans, the 12th chapter. Of course, this is fundamental too, and part of the major lessons of the Days of Unleavened Bread. Romans 12, verse 1. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. Some have sacrificed their lives to save others in war and in family accidents. But he says you are to be a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service, and be not conformed to this world. Another one of the major lessons of the days of all I haven't read. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So we are renewed internally day by day, but we also renew our minds. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. I turn to Romans, the fifth chapter. We'll come back a few, uh, few chapters. Romans, the fifth chapter. Yes, we are to be renewed day by day. And we are to overcome day by day. Romans 5 and verse 8. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having been justified by his blood, we shall be slaved from wrath through him. For if when we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. We are thankful, having taken the Passover, that we've been reconciled to God by the death of his son. And now we are to grow in the grace of knowledge and be conformed to the very image of Christ. That's Romans 8, verse 29. Be conformed to the nature, the character, the mind of Christ. And be saved by his life. Verse 11. And not only that, we also rejoice, as we heard in the sermonette. We rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. 
Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world, death through sin, and thus death spread in all men because of the sin. God has given us the free gift, and we thank him for the reconciliation he's given us. We are reconciled, and we also rejoice. The Tomorrow's World Bible Study Course, uh, Lesson 14, as the Passover season, God's people made innocent. So if you haven't reviewed that, I was just looking through it today on the, in, well, on the Internet. It was available with the ministry, ministerial resources. Uh, but if you haven't, I know that I've surveyed the audience here before, and I think a good 70 or 80 percent of you have completed all 24 lessons of the Tomorrow's World Bible Study Course. And uh, Lesson 14, uh, very inspiring, covering the Passover, the Days of Unleavened Bread, the Exodus, uh, just very inspiring. God's people made innocent. So the Days of Unleavened Bread reveal our part in God's plan of salvation. It's the second annual festival after the Passover. The Ambassador College Bible Correspondence Course uh, lesson 32 is titled, Days of Unleavened Bread, Your Part in God's Master Plan. So the Protestant world doesn't understand the days of unleavened bread because once you're saved, always saved. You don't need to do anything. You'll just come as you are. I'll just read from that uh, lesson 32. Days of Unleavened Bread, Your Part in God's Master Plan. Ambassador College Bible Correspondence Lesson. You have probably heard the saying, Jesus Christ led a perfect life in your stead. There's nothing at all for you to do but believe. Most ministers say God's law was nailed to the cross. It's unnecessary to keep the Ten Commandments today. Are these commonly accepted ideas really true? Is there nothing you must do to inherit eternal life? Well, yes, we have to obey. I was just listening to an old sermon. Um, believe and obey the truth. In fact, we had uh, uh, Tomorrow's World magazine article, Must You Obey God to Be Saved? And really, our former association was saying, Oh, obey seems like you've got to do something to earn your salvation. Well, he says he's only going to give the Holy Spirit to those who obey him. And he says, he actually condemns in Paul's epistles those who do not obey the truth and do not obey the gospel. It doesn't earn you anything. It just is a way of your relationship and showing that you are teachable, that you want to grow in the grace and knowledge of Christ. So we need to do something. We need to be overcomers. We'll turn to Revelation, the second chapter. You'll, I know you're all familiar with this, but let's get the emphasis. How important is it for us to overcome? Is it really a part of God's plan of salvation? So we have the Ephesus church. Uh, he said, nevertheless, I have this against you. Uh, Revelation 2 and verse 4, verse 7. To him who overcomes, I will give to eat from the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. 
And then for the Smyrna church, verse 11, the second part, he who overcomes shall not be hurt by the second death. And then the Pergamos church, I can find it here. Verse 17, to him who overcomes I will give some of the hidden manna to eat, and I will give him a white stone, and on the stone a new name written, which no one knows except him who receives it. And the Thyatira. Verse 26, chapter 2. And he who overcomes and keeps my works unto the end, to him will I give power over the nations. And then the Sardis church, chapter 3, verse 5. He overcomes shall be clothed in white garments, and I will not blot out his name from the book of life, but I will confess his names before my Father and before his angels. And to the church at Philadelphia, verse 12, He who overcomes, I will make him pillar in the temple of my God, and he shall go out no more. I will write on him the name of my God, the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem which comes down out of heaven from my God, and I will write on him my new name. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And to the church at Laodicea, verse 21, To him who overcomes... I will grant to sit with me on my throne as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So we understand just how important it is to overcome. The days of unleavened bread picture the miracle of conversion and spiritual growth. These days teach us a profound lesson. We must overcome Satan, Self and society. Human nature is a leaven which must be replaced with unleavened divine nature, godly nature. Dr. Meredith some years ago gave a powerful sermon on living the unleavened spiritual life. Living the unleavened spiritual life. So Christ tells all the churches, everyone is going to be in the kingdom You must be an overcomer. How would you like to summarize the purpose of your life? After everything is said and done, what would you want on your tombstone to say about you? What would you want your epitaph to say? I've shared this with you before, but on my tombstone, if we had the money to put it there, Here lies Richard Ames. He was an overcomer, and he turned many to righteousness. Now, you might have something else along that line, but to me, that's my motivation, a great, meaningful part of my life. And Christ wants us all to overcome. And, of course, in Daniel 12, 3, he says that you'll shine as the stars forever that those who turn many to righteousness. So we're overcoming in our daily exodus. God gave ancient Israel a great victory over Egypt, and God is now giving us daily victories over sin and selfishness, but we do need to overcome. What do we need to overcome? You all know, just mentioned self, 
Satan and society, 1 John 2, verse 15. I also like to add to that sin and selfishness, even though self is a part of the uh, triumvirate of overcoming. Of course, Mr. Gerald Weston has been giving the excellent sermon on the epistles of John, and he uh, thoroughly um, gave an exposition on 1 John 2.15, comparing it, of course, with the, uh, the testing of Jesus by Satan and also the temptation that faced Eve in the Garden of Eden because she was tempted in all those same three ways. 1 John 2 and verse 15. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Number one, the lust of the flesh. Number two, the lust of the eyes. And three, the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. The world is passing away in the lust of it, but he who does the will of God abides forever. I'll just uh, back up here a little in First John 2 as well. In verse 12, again we see here that God gives us the power to overcome because we look forward to um, the Pentecost and we heard in the sermonette that God gives us the power of God and the power of Christ to overcome, to live a righteous life. But First John 2, verse 12, I write to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven, given you for his name's sake. How blessed we are, because we know in First John 1, 7, it says the blood of Christ cleanses us from all sin if we walk in the light as he is in the light and we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. That's First John 1, 7. 1 John 2, verse 13. I write to you, fathers, because you have known him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you have overcome the wicked one. Is that possible? He said, yes, they had overcome the wicked one. I write to you, little children, because you have known the father. I have written to you, fathers, because you have known him who is from the beginning. I have written to you, young men, because you are strong. Those uh, biceps are just, no. He says, you are strong. How? Because the word of God abides in you. The word of God abides in you. Again, one of those powerful keys to overcoming. And you have overcome the wicked one. So God makes it very clear that we have a whole lifetime of overcoming. And some of us live longer than others because we have more to overcome, perhaps. And you know that human nature, and the Apostle Paul expressed his agony overseeing his human nature. And it's rather puzzling to some of the biblical scholars because they think once saved, always saved. Paul should not have had these problems with his human nature. And yet in Romans 7, verse 24, he says, O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from the body of death? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So Romans 6 and Romans 7, he's, he's talking about that struggle of sin. That we were once slaves to sin, but now we are free from sin, and we are slaves of righteousness. We thank God that he's made that very much possible. We confess our sins. We do 
we do not practice sin. Mr. Wesson made a point of that in his exposition of 1 John. As we sin, but we should not practice sin. There are some churches of God that do tolerate uh, individuals within their congregation who are practicing sin. The Apostle Paul did not do that right during the days of unleavened bread in his epistle to the Corinthians when he said, you need to expel that fornicator from out of the church. And he's going to submit him to Satan for the destruction of the flesh that his spirit may be saved in the latter day. So Paul didn't say, well, the best way we can help this practicing uh, fornicator is to just show him love and understanding and let him attend church. All No, uh, he put him out of the church for his good. And what was the result of that? The result of that, well, it's in 2 Corinthians, the 7th chapter, that that man had repented and Paul is telling the Corinthian church to let him back into the fellowship because he had the sorrow of the godly sorrow, not the sorrow of the world that works death, that whole section in Second Corinthians, the seventh chapter. So we need to have a godly sorrow, not the sorrow of the world that works death, because you say, I'm sorry I got caught. I'm sorry for the embarrassment. I'm sorry for the penalty I'm paying for my sin. No, it has to have the fruits of godly sorrow, of indignation, what fear, a clearing of yourselves, the Apostle Paul said there in 2 Corinthians 7. So we have to overcome that human nature, and the Apostle Paul recognized his human nature as well. We might turn to Leviticus, the 23rd chapter, Leviticus 23. We know that during the days of unleavened bread, and this has probably been mentioned to you before, Leviticus 23, we have to eat unleavened bread. So it's not the days of no leaven, it's the days of unleavened bread. Leviticus uh, 23 and verse 4. These are the feasts of the eternal, holy convocations which you shall proclaim in their appointed times. On the fourteenth day of the first month at twilight is the Lord's Passover. And on the fifteenth day of the same month is a feast of unleavened bread to the eternal. Seven days you must eat unleavened bread. The first day you shall have a holy convocation. So again, we are eating unleavened bread seven days. We... Uh, on our return from Raleigh to Charlotte on Wednesday, uh, we stopped at Kentucky Fried Chicken. We uh, had done that, uh, let's see, three years ago when we were coming back from uh, Louisville, Kentucky, for the first half of the uh, Days of Unleavened Bread and came back here to Charlotte for the second half. We stopped at a Kentucky Fried Chicken and um, asked for, uh, you know, do you have any chicken that uh, doesn't have leaven or yeast. And, and the young lady, I guess she must have been 18 or 19 years old, actually went back to the freezer and got the package in which original uh, recipe of Kentucky Fried Chicken came in. We read the uh, ingredients, no leaven. And so Wednesday, my, <laughs> my wife wanted to ask the clerk, he says, is there any leaven in this original recipe for chicken? 
Uh, he didn't know what leaven was. I said, well, the yeast. He said, oh, no, no, it just has flour and seasoning. So we enjoyed uh, unleavened chicken uh, this last Wednesday. So I know when I mentioned that uh, some years ago, people were very happy to know that secret. But we eat unleavened bread, and we know what it, it resembles. For John, the sixth chapter, Jesus said, I am the living bread from heaven. I'm the bread of God. And so when we eat the unleavened bread, we can understand several things. Of course, we're wanting to imbibe the very character and the mind of Christ. He says in John 6.63, The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and life, even after he would said that you must eat of my flesh and drink of my blood. He was speaking spiritually. And we understand that that spiritual food comes from the words that he spoke that are spirit and that are life. And we also understand the meaning of the bread, and you've probably read the scripture already, but let's turn to it again in First Corinthians, the fifth chapter. First Corinthians, the fifth chapter. Verse 7, Therefore purge out the old leaven, that you may be a new lump, since you are truly unleavened, for indeed Christ our Passover was sacrificed. How were they unleavened? Were they unleavened spiritually? No, because look at verse 2. You are puffed up. They were not unleavened. They were puffed up spiritually. They had to become unleavened. Therefore, let us keep the feast, verse 8, 1 Corinthians 5, not with old leaven, but with the leaven, not with the leaven, of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. But we mean and understand when we're eating the unleavened bread that we are symbolizing sincerity and truth. What that means, in other words, is that we are replacing the leaven of human nature with the unleavened bread of divine nature. And that might seem a little scary when you think, divine nature? Second Peter 3, if you'll turn to Second Peter, I'm sorry. Second uh, Peter, the first chapter. Second Peter, the first chapter. So it is a daily process of growing in the grace and knowledge of Christ and pre- replacing human nature with God's divine nature. Second Peter 1 and verse 2. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, as his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Oh, he's given to us spiritual gifts. And I hope that's something you thank God for. Through the knowledge of him who has called us by glory and virtue, by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. You know, I'm sure some of you have visited some of our members in the hospital who were dying, and my wife and I have some time and been with the purpose of going there to encourage them and find out here is a saint of God, 
someone who's been suffering and yet is exhibiting this spiritual, loving, divine nature, and you realize, yes, he or she is dying in the faith and is going to be in that first resurrection. But God wants you to have his nature. And his nature is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, self-control, humbleness of mind. We heard in the sermon that have that humility. Is that possible? Yes, it's possible. And that is the purpose of life and the miracle of life that we can be conformed. You might as well turn there. I referenced it a couple times, Romans 8:29. But I think it's so important to realize, yes, God wants his children to be like him. And he sent Jesus Christ to set the example of how to live. So Romans 8 and verse 29. Well, verse 28, we all know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose, for whom he foreknow. He also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren, conformed to the image of his Son. We already read Romans 12, not to be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of our minds. We are to be conformed to the very nature and mind and image of Christ. That's our whole purpose. And so we've got to overcome. We are partakers of the divine nature. And, of course, we have those special promises. In fact, uh, we have our Tomorrow's World magazines, uh, the January-February issue had uh, the treasures of God's promises. We have just an awesome promise here in Second Peter 1. And then the second uh, March-April issue, uh, we've got uh, Dr. Meredith's series beginning on the plain truth about the Protestant Reformation. I hope you've all read that. And we've just gotten a... Um, Advanced copy, you should be getting your copies in a couple more weeks, the May-June 2017 Tomorrow's World magazine, and of course has the Seeds of the Revelation Part 2 of Dr. Meredith's series on the plain truth about the Protestant Revelation. Uh, article on Space Wars and Mr. Weston's series on why kids go wrong. I hope you're, you're reading those magazines. So we need to replace the leaven of malice and wickedness with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth, or replace human nature with God's nature. But how? The time we have left, I'm going to give you uh, quickly uh, seven strategies for overcoming. Number one, see the big picture. See the big picture. The Israelites got distracted. When they were on their exodus, when I turn to Exodus 14, this may have already been read in the earlier part of the Days of Unleavened Bread, Exodus 14th chapter, but still profound lessons for all of us. Exodus 14, verse 10. And when Pharaoh drew near the children, the children of Israel lifted their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians marched after them. So they were very afraid, and the children of Israel cried out to the Lord. Then they said to Moses, and of course those of you who are familiar 
with the Ten Commandment movie and Dathan, who is the uh, one who's trying to go back to Egypt, and and uh, he says, uh, because there were no graves in Egypt, have you taken us away to die in the wilderness? So uh, you see the program tonight, you hear Dathan uh, complaining. Why have you so dealt with us to bring us up out of Egypt? I better quit that. <laughs> Is this not the word that we told you in Egypt, saying, Let us alone that we may serve the Egyptians? For we, we, it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians uh, than that we should die in the wilderness. And so they were complaining. And, of course, it tells us in uh, 2 Corinthians uh, 2.14, that we should not complain. And I think uh, Mrs. Lyons tells you all our children know 2 Corinthians 2.14. Right? Do all things without complainings and murmurings. But the Israelites didn't do that. But God said, look, stand still. Be not afraid. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord which he will accomplish for you today For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall see again no more forever. The Eternal will fight for you, and you shall hold your peace. So there are times in our trials and tribulations where we just have to stand still and wait on God. But there are other times we have to do something and go forward. So he says, verse 15, And the Eternal said to Moses, Why cry to me? Tell the children of Israel to go forward. And God caused the sea to open up. And, of course, once they got to Mount Sinai, and then later on, of course, they were going to spy out the promised land, turn uh, Numbers, the 13th chapter, Numbers 13. So they started complaining, even after God gave them victories. And they just kept, lost the sight of their Savior. Numbers 13. You know, they sent them out to well, the 12 spies, and uh, Joshua and Caleb were very enthusiastic, and, and uh, it was a land, surely, of milk and honey, verse 27, Numbers 13. But nevertheless, the people are strong. The cities are fortified. Verse 30. Then Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and pro- take possession for we are well able to overcome it. But they all were uh, crying and complaining, chapter 14 and, and 15, if only we had died in the land of Egypt, or if only we had died in this wilderness. Well, they got their wish. They were distracted. They didn't see the big picture. We need to have the big picture and always seek first the kingdom of God. Philippians 2 and verse 12, Philippians 2, and verse 12. You know, we, Dr. Meredith has emphasized over and over again that we need to see the big picture. So many get distracted and caught on the twigs of the tree and fail to embrace the trunk of the tree. Philippians 2, I'm sorry, I said 1 Corinthians 2.14. It's Philippians 
that says, do all things without complaining and disputing. And the uh, King James Version says, do all things without murmurings and disputing. The NIV, do everything without grumbling or arguing. The NRSB, do all things without murmuring or arguing. Verse 12, Philippians 2. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, yes, that's required. God only gives the Spirit to those who obey Him. Acts 5.32, I believe it is. Not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Yes, you must do something in the days of unleavened bread. So our part in God's plan of salvation. But how how do we do that? Verse 13, how do you work out your own salvation with fear and trembling? Well, you choose to fear God, as uh, Proverbs 1 brings out, that the wicked did not choose the fear of the eternal. It's a choice, and you can uh, uh, read more or understand more about that in the sermon character and your emotions. People say, I don't feel like it. I don't feel like being enthusiastic. (laughs) Uh, so why should I? You have to choose to drive yourself, one of the laws of success. Well, how does that work out? Verse 13, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to do for his good pleasure. But you've got to embrace that promise. You've got to choose to do his will. You've got to choose to cooperate and obey then God will give you all the blessings. So see the big picture. Come to God's throne and focus on that throne. Dr. Meredith gave a sermon a couple years ago called The Real Jesus Christ. You look at God's throne where your Savior is, our great high priest who ever lives to make intercession for us. What is our goal? Matthew 6.33, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, And all these things shall be added to you. We need enthusiasm for the kingdom of God. There's a song that I've, uh, I guess, requested. Hopefully one of these years we'll have it during the days of unleavened bread. I am bound for the promised land. Oh, I won't try and sing it. I am bound for the promised land. I am bound for the promised land. Oh, who will come and go with me? I am bound for the promised land. Just an enthusiasm to get to the kingdom of God, to get to the promised land. I hope we can have that sung sometime in the future. So will you be distracted from the goal of the kingdom or the promised land symbolically? Will you lose sight of the big picture? Strategy number one for overcoming is see the big picture. Strategy number two is plan ahead, Proverbs 22 and verse 3. Proverbs 22 and verse 3. Proverbs 22, verse 3. A prudent man foresees the evil and hides himself. Yes, he understands that you must make preparations for possible dangers and to plan ahead. But the simple pass on and are punished. 
I was asking uh, on the first day of Unleavened Bread how many of uh, the brethren there had uh, seven days of water. And, of course, uh, I've asked uh, this congregation before, but I think it was only about uh, 13 or 14 percent of the brethren. I, I can't take a survey here because that bright light, I couldn't see all your hands uh, most of all. Uh, but uh, we know that uh, Boston, Massachusetts had uh, a break in their main water lines and they were two weeks without millions of people without water for two weeks. And uh, some in some of the hurricane areas have been out uh, without water, drinking water, I'm talking about, uh, three or four days or more. So I hope that all of you will Take the admonition to make sure that you are prepared, you are planning ahead. Of course, you're planning ahead, of course, for Pentecost. You're planning ahead uh, for the singles weekend here, actually Memorial Day, the brick uh, weekend. Build relationships in Christ is B-R-I-C. So we'll expect uh, quite a few, as we heard the announcement, uh, coming from various areas. And then we have the summer camps, the preteen camps, the uh, Texas Youth Camp and the Adventure Camp. So we need to plan ahead. Proverbs 3 and verse 5. Proverbs 3. We can overcome if we're actively planning ahead and foreseeing the, able, the evil and hiding ourselves. Proverbs 3, verse 5. Trust in the eternal with all your heart. And lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct your paths. So, as I've mentioned before, my wife would uh, ask me, and I first I, I was somewhat perturbed when she said, well, we're going out shopping. Well, Dick, we're out ready to go out. Let's pray about our shopping. Well, okay. So we pray about the shopping, and God bless our shopping. Well, she's got me so well trained now that any time she said, well, Dick, let's pray about this. I don't hesitate. I just quickly say a prayer about whatever it is. And uh, that's what he says. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will direct your paths. Now, it's so wonderful to know that you have a Father in heaven who is knows what your needs are even before you ask, but he wants you to ask, and he's going to bless you with you. Acknowledge him in all your ways. He shall direct your paths. That's another one of God's great promises. Second Peter 3 and verse 18. So you plan ahead wisely. What are you going to accomplish in the next 12 months? You have to set goals. It's one of the first law of success. Fix the right goal, but in general... You set goals. In Second Peter 3.18, you all know, which is a wonderful spiritual admonition for all of us, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And that's what the Days of Unleavened Bread are teaching us. We don't stay the same old carnal way. We grow in spiritual character. And sometimes it takes pain and suffering and trials and lessons to learn from the lessons of suffering. We have a sermon on that title. So we must grow in the grace and knowledge of Christ. So we set goals. We may be taking the Tomorrow's World Bible Study course for over a year or however may. We have our 
Charlotte teens, uh, more than a dozen, have signed up for the Red Cross certification and CPR and babysitting. Very valuable certification. So you growing, you're applying that uh, law of success of education and preparation. So we need to grow. Around New Year's, uh, people set uh, resolutions. We can set goals in our life. But Calvin and Hobbes were talking about making uh, resolutions. So, of course, Calvin is the precocious, uh, imaginative boy, and Hobbes is the uh, tiger, his friend. And so Hobbes says to Calvin, Are you making any resolutions for the New Year? Yeah, I'm resolving, Calvin says, to wing it and see what happens. So you're staying the course, Hobbes says to Calvin. Calvin says, I stick to my strengths. So what is he going to do? He's just going to wing it, meaning I have no plans, I have no uh, goals, uh, I'm just going to live life accidentally. No, you don't just wing it. You have to apply the seven laws of success. You set the right goal. You prepare and have good education. You have good health. Fourth, you drive. And fifth, the law of resourcefulness. And sixth, the stick-to-itiveness law, perseverance. And the seventh law, continuous guidance of God Almighty. You seek that guidance. In fact, we have um, reprint number 140, if you uh, want a little more on that information. Achieving Godly Success. Just request that um, reprint, number 140, Achieving Godly Success. So number two, plan ahead. Number three, learn from lessons of the past. Learn the lessons of last year. It's mentioned several times, but 2 Corinthians 13.5. We examine ourselves. 2 Corinthians 13, 5. Examine yourselves as to whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not know yourselves that Jesus Christ is in you, unless indeed you are disqualified? Well, even eating the unleavened bread shows symbolically that we are having Christ abiding in us. But we are to test ourselves and to know ourselves. And we make mistakes. And I've told you before, my little Week at a glance, and I write down lessons. Uh, lesson number one, uh, zero one. Watch your head. I kept bumping my head. Um, number two, write it down. Number three, say no to desserts. Uh, well, I won't share all of these for you, so. But there are more profound lessons that we learn, and I know with the. Uh, my stroke, I've had to learn lessons as well, very sobering. And I've had to uh, think about my life, what changes I've had to make. And I'm just so thankful that uh, uh, God is hearing the prayers of many people around the world to help me improve. I said I still have ways to go. A slurred speech and, and my right side is weak and my handwriting was very poor, but they're gradually getting better and I'm thankful for that. But we have to learn from our mistakes. Daniel, the fifth chapter, Daniel 5, showed that Belshazzar should have learned the lessons of history. He should have learned from the mistakes of his predecessors. 
Daniel 5, we know that the handwriting was on the wall, and Belshazzar called Daniel to, to interpret that. And he said, verse 18, Daniel 5, O king, the Most High God gave Nebuchadnezzar your father, or uh, grandfather, or ancestor, a kingdom, majesty, glory, and honor. And, of course, what happened? His heart was lifted up, verse 20. And he was driven from the sons of men, verse 21. They fed him with grass like oxen, and his body was wet with the dew of heaven till he knew. Nebuchadnezzar had to learn a very painful and long-lasting lesson. It lasted seven years of his being more like a, an animal in the field till he knew that the Most High God rules in the kingdom of men and appoints it over whomever he chooses. But you, his son or his descendant, Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart, although you knew all this. Sometimes we ignore the lessons from our previous pain. We said, oh, I'll never do that again. And then we repeat it. Uh, People who get addicted have the most serious problems along that line and need help. You have lifted yourself up against the Lord of heaven. And so his kingdom was numbered. As uh, Daniel interpreted that in verse 26 and 27 and verse 28. The handwriting was on the wall. And they should have understood, Belshazzar should have understood the lessons from his predecessor and the history of his nation. But he didn't and he died that night. So what personal lessons have you learned? And what lessons will you learn through your trials and your pain? When Dr. Meredith had his stroke over seven years ago, he said, I want to learn all the lessons I can learn. The Apostle Paul had to learn lessons too. In fact, uh, we heard Mr. Lyons uh, mention this in the sermonette, 2 Corinthians 12th chapter. 2 Corinthians 12th chapter. We need to learn from our lessons if we're going to overcome and not repeat them. 2 Corinthians 12 and verse 7. Mr. Lyons read the whole section here, so I'll just uh, repeat this one thing. Well, verse 7. 2 Corinthians 12. And lest I should be exalted by measure by the abundance of revelations, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I be exalted above measure. Concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. And he said, My grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in weakness. So God gave him a message. Therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Then the end of verse 10, as we heard in the sermonette, for when I am weak then I am strong. So let's remember that we have to learn lessons daily, learn the lessons of history. Actually, you can read more about the lessons that uh, ancient Israel should have learned in their exodus in Hebrews, the third chapter and fourth chapter, if you want to find something to study. 
today that relates to the days of unleavened bread in the Exodus. Read Hebrews 3 and 4. And, of course, you need to trust Christ to bring you through your trials. As he said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And, lo, that's Hebrews 13, 5. And, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age, Matthew 28, verse 20. So, strategy number three, learn lessons from last year's experience. Lesson number four, strategy number four, lose, use your spiritual power. Turn to Ephesians 5, verse 15. Ephesians 5, verse 15. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time, because the days are evil. Ephesians 5, verse 17. Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And if you're reading the Bible every day, you know what the will of the Lord is. And do not be drunk with wine, which is in dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. So that's God's will. If we pray anything according to His will, we know that He hears us. Be filled with the Spirit, speaking. And how is that manifested? Speaking to one another in psalms and hymns, spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in the fear of God. So we must be filled with the Spirit. We need to use our spiritual power to overcome. You know, Second Timothy 1, but let's turn there. Second Timothy, the first chapter. These are fundamental scriptures, many of them, that should be internalized as a part of your thinking, part, part of your meditation. First, sorry, Second Timothy 1. In verse 7, this is so comforting, so assuring. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, 2 Timothy 1, verse 7, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. The Greek word is sophromnisos, which can be also translated discipline. NRSV and NIV have self-discipline. NASB has power and love and discipline. So we had a sermon, number 349, the gift of discipline. So God gives us self-control, self-discipline, prudence, is the meaning of sophronismos. And the New King James Version rendered sound-mindedness. So ask God for the Spirit of God to be renewed in your mind day by day, as we read earlier. So number four is use your spiritual power. Number five, carefully follow Christ's leadership. Return back to Exodus, uh, the 13th chapter. And it's amazing when you realize how the Israelites just turned so carnally away forgot all the miracles that God performed for them, and realizing that God was with them on their journey. Exodus 13 and verse 20. 
So they took their journey from Succoth and camped in Etham at the edge of the wilderness. Exodus 13:21. And the Eternal went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light so as to go by day and night. He did not take away the pillar of cloud by day or the pillar of fire by night from before the people. What an amazing guidance, a miraculous guidance. How long did that last? Turn to the last chapter of Exodus, Exodus the 40th chapter, and you get the answer to that question. You realize God was a witness to them all that time. Exodus 40. Well, verse 36, Exodus 40. Whenever the cloud was taken up from the tabernacle, the children of Israel would go onward in all their journeys. But if the cloud was not taken up, then they did not journey till the day that it was taken up. For the cloud of the eternal was above the tabernacle by day, and fire was over it by night in the sight of all the house of Israel throughout all their journeys. So for us today, we follow Christ's example. We follow His admonition and His work, and He's given us missions to perform. And how wonderful that mission is. You probably heard some of the special report for the Days of Unleavened Bread that we have uh, 60,000 copies of the DVD, A Culture in Crisis, as a result of Dr. Meredith's November semi-annual. That those 60,000 DVDs were sent out, and we're still getting requests for them, even uh, every day. Um, we had uh, 426,000 subscribers in 172 countries in the world, uh, editions in Afrikaans, French, and Spanish. Uh, so we have uh, 5,500 taking the digital edition of the magazine in English. And uh, Roku, we have uh, 70,000 that have installed uh, Tomorrow's World on Roku. And uh, oh, so many very inspiring things, if I could find couple more here. We had uh, 69 um, Tomorrow's World presentations uh, last year. In fact, today, Mr. Wallace Smith and Mr. Gene Hilgenberg are giving a Tomorrow's World presentation in Joplin, Missouri. So you may um, send up a quick prayer for that Tomorrow's World presentation even today. We had uh, 243 Individual baptized in 2016 in 23 countries. Of course, the telecast is going out into India, uh, around the world, and Russian and Ukrainian languages as well, uh, French and Spanish. So uh, thank God for the work that he's given us to do. So number five, carefully follow Christ's leadership. Turn to Hebrews, the 13th chapter. Hebrews 13. Church government is a sore issue with some of the Church of God fellowships. Uh, They just don't like it. They think everyone is a minister, and so no one is in charge. In fact, uh, years ago, uh, one of our um, opponents uh, said, oh, kind of sarcastically said, well, who's in charge? Well, Jesus Christ, of course, is in charge, and 
but he has a government and a structure and organization within his church. Hebrews 13, verse 7. Remember those who have the rule over you, who have spoken the word of God to you, whose faith follow, considering the outcome of their conduct. I know one minister years ago said, oh, it doesn't have the rule over you. The margin says, who are the guides? So they don't have the rule over you. Well, what does it say in verse 17? Obey those who are the guides, if that's what it should be, who have the rule over you, and be submissive, for they watch for your souls. It's those who must give account. Let them do so with joy and not with grief. And, of course, verse 8 tells us Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And we need to follow the sevenfold mission. I hope you have a poster of the sevenfold mission. If you don't, um, you might request it from our MPD mailing department. And uh, just a wonderful mission that Christ has given us. We need to fulfill that mission. Number five, carefully follow Christ's leadership. Number six, practice an attitude of thanksgiving. We just read, of course, in Ephesians 5.18, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father. As we When we are filled with the Spirit, we give thanks always for all things. One of our minister's wives years ago heard a sermon about writing five things to be thankful for each day. Uh, she was having troubles. Her her brother died. Her mother died. She was feeling lonely. So she wrote five things to be thankful for every day. And when she told me this, she had written down 2,500. I received a Get Well card from her just uh, last week, and she now had written over 20,000. She kept apparently keeping that up, five things a day. It must have been over 10 years now that she'd been writing down five things a day to be thankful for. My wife was telling me that uh, from ones that she knew the summer of 1958 when Dick Armstrong was on a baptizing tour and they had a terrible auto accident and he was up in the hospital in San Luis Obispo dying. And... Uh, you know, Dick Armstrong was the one you've heard, Mr. Meredith tell about he was instrumental in the healing the paraplegic of Mr. Howard Clock and the, the miracle that God performed with that healing. Well, Dick Armstrong was dying, and one of the nurses, my wife knew the nurse of one of the church, was sitting outside his uh, hospital door. He knew he was dying, but she heard him praying, and he was just thanking God for everything he could think about as he was dying. You overcome by practicing thanksgiving. First Thessalonians 5.16 says, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Strategy number six, practice thanksgiving. Number seven, Remember your spiritual identity. Second Corinthians, the sixth chapter. Second Corinthians, the sixth chapter. Who are you? Second Corinthians six and verse seventeen. And what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God. You know, you ask God's blessing on the food. It might help the, your body, the temple 
of the living God. I will dwell in them and walk among them. I will be their God and they shall be my people. So God is our Father. It says in verse 18, I will be a father to you and you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. So remember your identity, that you're a bond servant of Jesus Christ. You're branches of the vine. You're ambassadors for Christ. You're doulos, bought and paid for bond servants of Christ. You are saints if you have God's Holy Spirit in you. You're the body of Christ. You're disciples of Christ, students of Christ. You are his shepherd. I mean, you are his sheep. He is the shepherd. We sang that earlier today. One more identifier, Romans 8, verse 37, of who you are. Always remember who you are, because you're the light of the world and the salt of the earth. You need to let that light shine. Romans 8, in verse 37, another identifier of who and what you are. He's talking about the trials and tests here in verse 34, 35. 36, but verse 37 of Romans 8, Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. We are more than conquerors. We are more than overcomers. How? Through him who loved us. So brethren, let's remember these strategies of overcoming that we are to see the big picture, that we are to Again, remember who we are, what we are, and practice an attitude of, of thanksgiving, and uh, remember your spiritual identity. We also use the gift of God's spiritual power, learn the lessons from last year, plan ahead with goals, and carefully follow Christ's leadership. So let's remember one final scripture, Revelation 21, verse 7. Revelation 21 and verse 7. He who overcomes shall inherit all things. Yes, we must overcome every day. Are you an overcomer? The answer to the question is yes. We are more than conquerors, more than overcomers through Christ who strengthens us. And he who overcomes shall inherit all things. And I will be his God and he shall be my son. So, brethren, we must be overcomers. We are the church of the forgiven. Pray that we can also be the faithful church of overcomers. Pray for one another as brothers and sisters in Christ. So let's do the work, fulfill the great commission, and be overcomers who will be with our Father and our Savior for all eternity.